Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. Um, So we've got an interesting show, a little bit different for you today. Uh, But before we get into that, I'm going to take a little bit of personal privilege, if I can. Um, You know, we... We've lost so much in our communities from COVID already, and we had um, we've had another loss in in our, my our hometown um, of Ryan, Colorado City. Uh, John Van Ort um, passed from COVID uh, earlier this week. He was in his early fifties. Um, he's been, and his wife is a teacher, Tammy, and coach. And John um, was really involved in. Uh, he was a water guy. Um, and so he was with the Metro District, but he also coached for a number of years up there as an assistant basketball, I mean, assistant football coach and also track coach. And so um, our hearts are pretty, are hurting pretty bad this week to lose somebody. Um, and you know, that with these rural communities, everybody's so meshed, our lives are so meshed together that, that we are all keenly feeling it. So we just wanted to send out our love to um, to Tammy and uh, his wife Tammy um, and Tyler and Tyler's wife Brooke um, and uh, their daughter Jade um, and they have this brand new uh, Tyler and, and Brooke have this brand new sweet uh, baby grandbaby for them and, and everybody's just really hurting so um, we love you guys we're thinking about you um, and we just <laughs> you know COVID's just been so devastating and it's it's not we're not the losses aren't going down um, anytime soon on that. So um, just our love out to you guys. So um, Brian and I actually haven't seen each other in about two weeks (laughs) with break and everything. Um, Brian took a little bit of a vacation. And, uh, but uh, our guest today is uh, Colin Harris. Colin Harris is a bit of a local legend. I even wore my Colin Harris, Colin at Greatness shirt uh, when Colin was a senior. the team shirts were for him, so um, the track team shirts were for him. Um, but you know, Brian, you and I just love to talk—not just with top-level decision makers, but more than that, we almost enjoy more talking with people who have been on the front lines of something. So yeah. that's why I invited Colin uh, to join us today. Colin has been um, so he graduated from Rye. Uh, he went to CSU. He has a degree, an ag degree from CSU. Mm-hmm. And last couple of years, you have been um, fighting fires, fighting forest fires. So <laughs> tell us a little bit first about your degree. And then I want to jump in because we've been having a lot of discussions about fire mitigation and everything, you know, we're what we're going to have to put in as far as budgets go and what that's going to look like in the future. So we'll talk about that in a second. But you went to CSU and you got a degree in ag. Yes? Yep. Yep. I, uh, I got a degree, um, graduated in 2020 with an agricultural business degree from CSU. And I've yet to use it at all. So <laughs> That's fair. That's uh, fair. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah, you haven't used it at all and you decided to go fight fires. Yep. Yeah, I had, I uh, started. I think 2017. My sister sent me a picture of a uh, converse, conver, uh, excuse me, conservation corps in uh, Larimer County. Um, it was an ad for a job for a saw crew program. Okay. Um, yeah, she saw it on a bulletin board of a bathroom, and I, I, <laughs> I applied to that job. Um, it's where most jobs come from. Yeah. Bulletin boards and bathrooms. Yep. Um, it was a $9 an hour, just a AmeriCorps job working in the woods, uh, doing fire mitigation. Yeah. Um, and through that, I was introduced to uh, some some wildland firefighters who had been doing it for a while. And they were talking it up, and they were they were saying how you could make, you know, like $14 an hour instead of $9 <laughs> an hour. So I was like, man, I need to get into that. Um but yeah, then I, I I tried it out and I really loved it and so far I'm gonna 
keep heading toward down that path. Yeah, and you're working. Um, you're working to get on a hotshot crew. Yeah, that's that's one of my goals. I'm on a I'm on a, a what's called a Type Two initial attack uh, fire crew for the Forest Service currently, or I have been in the past. Uh, and I'm I'm just a usually a seasonal worker, so I don't I'm not making any decisions. So gotcha. <laughs> not not the guy to to ask you about decisions. But, but I'll, you can ask me anyway. I'll but ask yeah. you anyway because we had an interesting conversation about this. So, so I, I want to know what what is a hotshot crew? Because you hear that anybody dealing with um, wildfire, it's like oh they're bringing in the hotshot crew. What does that mean? So a uh, a hotshot crew is a twenty person crew of people that use hand tools primarily to um, create a fire break okay. around the perimeter of a fire to um, uh, stop it right there. And um, so, so you'll, uh, you'll see guys with chainsaws cut mm-hmm. a swath of, of shrubs and bushes out and behind them uh, maybe, maybe 13 people with hand tools will dig maybe a two-foot basically a dirt trail down to mineral soil to just rid the fuel so it starves the fire out. So that's like, you know, if you're watching a movie and you're seeing the firefighters or even on the news, that's usually what they show. It's like the guys right at the front, like, you know, digging all this out, getting it out of the way. Yeah, and, uh, and hotshot crews are uh, are mostly, their overhead is has a lot of experience and qualifications. And just a lot of knowledge on what to do with fires, um, and they it's it's very competitive. So a lot of the yeah. seasonals and the overhead are, are very physically fit and just very motivated. And so to to get to that point, you kind of have to start at the bottom of the ranks and work your way up to it, correct? Uh, you know, it's uh, it just depends. For me, that seems like it's it's what's got to happen. But um, yeah, you, you usually need a little bit of experience. Um, it's harder for like an eighteen-year-old to get yeah. on a hotshot crew. It's not like unheard of or anything like that. Yeah. But um, usually people start on uh, engine crews. There's a there's several different types of fire crews out there. There's um, like I, I started on a Type Six engine in uh, for the Bureau of Land Management. Okay. Um, but yeah, hotshot crews. They're uh, they're just twenty people just hiking around in the woods, <laughs> digging the dirt. So let, let me ask you this, because I, I know a little bit about it, just enough to sound stupid. <laughs> um, but so so when you're on a hotshot crew, um, you know, I, I went to one of the, the fires that they were fighting kind of close to here was in uh, up by Custer County, um, that area. And when I got there, like, I, it looked like the military. So we, we get up there, there's a tent city, there's, a, you know, an HQ. Um, I think there was like 120 tents set up. So when you go to these areas to fight this fire, are you, you're pretty much there. It's a small city, a small traveling city that sets up, right? Yep. So you'll, that's uh that's called ICP or uh, the initial command post. Okay. Um, and you'll have, you'll have teams coming from across the country. Um, usually that set up camp there and provide the overall management and logistics involving that fire. That's usually for larger, you know, campaign fires. Yeah. And uh, and you also have a lot of the just different resources for that fire camping and and having their daily meetings there mm-hmm. to kind of just get get um, their plans for the day implemented. So, how many um, seasons have you been involved with this? I know we were talking a little bit before this, and um, I think you said four seasons. Yeah, so I spent uh, I spent two summers through college uh, with the Bureau of Land Management um, on a Type Six engine, mm-hmm. and then I spent. Uh, the last two seasons in Oregon uh, with the Forest Service on a hand crew. Okay. So is it glamorous where you go stay in a hotel and then you drive to work every day and fight the fire for eight hours and then you go back to your hotel and relax? Uh, you know, it's <laughs> there's a lot of highs and there's a lot of lows. Um, you know, you're. Uh, I've sometimes they put you in a nice hotel and then the next day they'll uh, they'll push you and you're sleeping on the side of a shed in a baseball field. <laughs> Um, and, and that's what I enjoy about the job is just the unpredictability of it. Um, you never know what you're going to do um, from this day to the next, and it it's exciting. It, it gets sporadic, but it, that's that's why I keep coming back so yeah. far. 
and it's it's also dangerous too. Most people don't realize that, but you know, wildfire it's it's uh it's like fighting a monster, right? That that I've heard it described. My, <laughs> in all fairness, my um my uncle was the the fire chief here in Pueblo, so for the city fire, not you know wildfire, but but he was talking to me about it because he went to school for fire science and all this stuff. And he was like, he told me, he's like, I like fighting building fires because we know generally what's going to happen. And he never went into the, the, the forest fire side of things because he said it was like fighting an uncontrolled chaotic monster at all times. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could describe it like that. Uh, I mean, it's nature, right? Mm. I mean, nature's pretty unpredictable. Uh, you can, you can mitigate hazards. You know, it's, it's not like you're, you're feeling unsafe or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, you mitigate hazards as well as you can. Um, yeah, but a lot of these tragedy fires that happen, happen just quick because, yeah. because people don't see them coming. It's maybe a, a wind change or, or weather changes unexpectedly. Yeah. And that's, that's what, that's what's scary. Yeah. Just the unpredictability of it. Yeah, but that also makes it exciting too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it's a little, uh, a little catch twenty two. Yeah, yeah. You just have, definitely have to have the personality to do this, and I know you. So you you have the personality, but it's not just for anybody. Yeah, most definitely, you got to be you got to be willing to not know what's going on most of the time, <laughs> especially if you're at the bottom. You have to be fine with that. Just be like, okay, whatever. Yeah, and I think that's a good skill to have, <laughs> just in general. It's a very good skill to have. So um, when you were so, BLM has their teams, right? Um, Bureau of Land Management has their teams, and then the Forest Service, the the National Forest Service has their teams, right? Yep. So uh, fire is a big; it encompasses a lot of different resources from a lot of different people. Um, agency crews, like uh, the Forest Service, has crews and. The Bureau of Land Management. You also have state crews, um, like Cal Fire, or you know our state crews in Colorado, and uh, especially on uh, the West Coast, there's a lot of contract crews. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, and and they do pretty much the same job. It's just it's it's a lot of bureaucracy and just a lot of policy, but er- everyone's there to you know just achieve the same. Get the job done. Yeah. yeah. And, and one issue with that, too, if anybody's worked with the federal government and the state government and the local government, um, one thing that over the years that was always kind of a problem when you had these larger fires break out was just communication because everybody was on their own communication system and you would have the feds unable to talk to the other feds, unable to talk to the state, unable to talk to the locals. And that was a, a huge thing that we saw here in Colorado with a lot of these fires. And then there was a push to get everybody on when this happens on the same communication system. Have you ever experienced that issue? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and now that it, it, you know, you work on a, a state fire where uh, maybe state people are running it. They, they do things completely different yeah. than uh, the feds, just like you were saying. And um, it, it's just confusing because yeah. no one's on the same page. No one knows where anybody's at. Um, at least that's what it seems like um, working and it's just, it's not as efficient. Yeah. That's what I've, that's what I've noticed anyway. I think it's getting better, but it's, it was, it's still bad <laughs> on a lot of this, but they're doing their best well, and it's a lot of moving parts too. And, and you, the thing is these different agencies and you know, counties, they have different mission statements for what yeah. they're doing. Right. I mean, maybe a County their their mission is to, just get the fire out as soon as possible, protect all these houses. The Forest Service, um, maybe, and I don't, I don't want to speak, just paraphrasing because I don't know exactly yeah. what their mission is. You're not speaking is. on behalf of the Forest Service. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they're trying to protect homes, but they're also the land managers, right? Yeah. They're, uh, they're managing the forest, and they have a different outlook on what the fire is doing yeah. versus maybe a county or state person. And, and you know, one another thing, too, that we – spoke about briefly, but, um, you know, the way that, that we, a lot of the fires, the way we fight them here is more of the aggressive reactive way versus the proactive. And that gets into the fire mitigation. And it seems like we're, we're spending more time and money on the reacting to the fire versus preventing the fire. 
Yeah, yeah, we were talking a little bit about that. Um, and again, you know, I'm not saying anything profound that nobody already knows, but um, we've been fight, we've been suppressing fires in the United States for over 50 years now, um, very aggressively. And what that's created is just just excessive fuel loading, and uh, there's just so much fuel to burn. Uh, together with climate change, that provides just this environment for these just mega fires that we've been seeing. Yeah. That's those are factors anyway. Yeah. Um, because fire, like we were talking about, wildfire is just a natural phenomenon that's been on our landscape for you know thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And just in the last 100 years, we've taken it out of the landscape. Um, that, that paired with the wildland-urban interface, these people moving in, just there's just more and more houses that are getting intertwined with where the forest is. Yeah, it used to be a cycle. It was um, even the Native Americans talked about, it, you know, they just let it burn and then they move away and then come back, you know, five years later and start living there and working in it. Now you have permanent housing in these areas that for thousands and hundreds of thousands of years would have a fire and that would take care of it. Now you have families and people living in the middle of it and you can't have that fire. And that's why we're seeing this more and more. Well, I thought it was really interesting because so often we hear when we talk about fire and wildland fires, they only talk about um, environmental changes and that, you know, it's just that. And I think a lot of people don't, Think about how it's been managed over the last um, the last hundred years. How did we fix that? Do you know? Well, I don't know, but um, there's a lot smarter people than me working on it. I'm sure. But um, what I think there's a push towards is trying to put more fire on the ground via prescribed fires. Um, yet trying to mimic that natural landscape again. Um, that's that's something that the Forest Service has been trying to do. That that provides its own challenges because it takes so long to get something like that yeah. off the ground, and there's so much land. Um, I think as an individual, especially in the wildland-urban interface, you have to take it upon yourself to um, create a buffer around your home, just a defensible space. I think that's the number one um, answer to that because – in our lifetimes, I don't, I don't think we're going to find an answer to that. And, you know, we've, we've been in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> you need, your home is uh, susceptible to burning if, yeah. if you don't have defensible space. Um, yeah. And I think that's, if you're a homeowner, that's something you should just keep in mind with this kind of new, new landscape that we found ourselves in. We talk about taking personal responsibility for the environment. That's one of the things that you can do right now that would make a difference on all of this. Yeah, yeah. And so at the individual level, I think that's the easiest and makes the most sense to me is, is creating a defensible space for what you have. Yeah. And also pay attention to the, the you know, the is it a red day or whatever? What's the fire <laughs> stuff? Because they... You know, all these things you read about, like when they trace where the fire started, it's usually somebody had a campfire they didn't put out. Somebody had a fire they weren't supposed to be burning. Um, kids throwing cigarettes out of cars. Yeah. You know, it's it, there is personal responsibility in this. And unfortunately, we're not seeing that. But I, I think the more we talk about it and the more people become aware of it, then maybe that can start to change a little bit. So over the last four years, what would you say, like the fires that you've worked on? What, how, how have the majority of those been started? How, what's, what's been the, the factor in getting those started? Uh, it's, it's a mix. There's a lot of lightning fires that have been mm-hmm. on, uh, but there's, there's several man-made fires and suspected arson fires that have been on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, lightning fires, are, it, it's natural and, yeah. and should happen. But so. because there's such a, a large fuel load? It, it's, a, it's a big factor. Um, it's, it's such... Fire depends on so many factors to get it going. It's the, the weather and uh, the winds. I mean, it, you can get a lightning strike and it can skunk around in the woods for days and then the sun will get on it just right and then it'll explode. Oh, gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, you've got all these factors, all these ignitions, and, and they're going to keep happening. Yeah. 
you know, we have beetle kill in Colorado, and that's a that's a big problem when this happens too. Do you think if um, you know, and having these discussions before, do you think if they let um, if they gave out more permits for people to go in and get some of the beetle kill out or, cause it's always, there's a contract. And so, I mean, I don't know how it is in other States, but you know, you have to get a contract and then only those guys can go in and get the wood or whatever. You have to get special permits and you have to go through all of this to go take, um, you know, dead wood off or any of that fuel load off. Do you think if they lifted some of those restrictions, it would help? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a potential answer to that. I, I don't have too much knowledge on, on what that would do, but I mean, there's there's an excess fuel load throughout you know our forests in Colorado through that beetle kill. Mm-hmm. I mean when you when you take the fuel loading away, that's 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 a big factor on what creates these these big fires. What about if there's already been a fire there? Does that protect from other fires? Because you know they are trying to put it out, and I see all that, and that just looks like a tinderbox to me. Um, yeah, you know. Uh, it depends, you know, right after, right after fire, if it burns really clean, if it, if it's hot and burns everything, it's, it's a pretty safe, safe place. Uh, you'll, you'll get dirty burns where, where there's still, it's, uh, flammable material. Yeah. And, uh, it, it could be preheated and, um, when there's a fire through there and it could be even worse, but, but afterwards you're, you're talking like months after or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean. It's it's a good buffer. I mean, that's that's the thinking behind prescribed fires too, right? Is is uh, you're burning some of this material out, so there's less of a chance for it to spread as quickly. I just think about if you've got a few um, partially burned logs in your fireplace, it's easier to get those started than it is to get um, a log that's hasn't been burned at all. And so you see all of this that kill up there and. Um, yeah, I always wonder about that. It's like, does is this potential fire starter later on? You know, if a if a lightning strikes that tree right there, is that the whole thing going to go up again, or how's that work? Yeah, and uh, I mean, a lot of these fires depend on um, kind of smaller fuels initially, right? Like it's like you're building a fire, you put in the put in the little twigs first, and yeah. build it up like that. Um, so when you get rid of those little twigs, it's it's a lot harder to get an established fire going. Yeah, for sure. Well, for and, sure. and also, um, you know, there's other consequences to a massive fire, um, specifically by areas with population, and that's the runoff, that's mm-hmm. the flooding. You know, that's where we saw in Colorado Springs, Manitou Springs. After that, you know, the Fountain Creek, it all just dumped in. They had floods up there, one over the the roads, and you know, that's and a consequence of a fire that goes up close to a population area is the flooding afterwards and also the, the water contamination of the fire as well. I remember it was after one fire just going to the reservoir and standing on the dam and looking down. I mean, it was like 500 yards of just burnt right. logs and stuff there that did it. And that that's always the big one. Like we got the fire out and then what comes next during the rain season is just as bad as the fire and causes just as much damage. Well, and there was one thing I remember um, having discussions with the county commissioners, the Werfano County commissioners, when we had that um, big fire in Caneos, um, Castilla, and Werfano County, was the soil here is clay. So what happens when you heat clay? Bakes. It bakes. And so they were, the Army Corps of Engineers came in and they said, you've got to be really careful because you have all of this debris um, and you're going to have all this buildup and there's no way for water to seep in. And it's going to take a lot longer for that particular type of soil to come back and, mm-hmm. and to do that. And so, um, like you said, it's different in every place that you're at, depending on what the after effects are for that. So we're going to take a break really quick. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, about fire, what the future is for fire mitigation, especially in our western states, um, and some ideas that you might have on, on how we can make that situation a little bit better. Stick around. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen. We're sitting here with a local legend, Colin Harris. We're talking a little bit about fires. Um, and I ask the same question to the people, all the people I love, what good stories you have for us. So we need some story time. So how many fi- like how many states have you uh, operated fires in? Uh, me, I, you know, I'd have to count them, but, but um, probably close to four or five. So Colorado... Uh, yeah, I've been I've been working in Oregon, uh, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Montana, Utah, all all Wyoming at all. Yeah, Wyoming too. Yeah. Yeah, Wyoming. So, and there could be more, but I try to <laughs> I try to keep track of you, but um, Washington. Oh Washington. yeah, Washington. So now that's seven. Yeah, I, th- I think California. Never been to California. No. Not California at all. Not yet. All right. So crazy stuff you've seen while you're on a fire. Uh well. If I'm gonna be honest, it's it's not that crazy of a job. Usually, um, <laughs> it's. I mean, you'll see fire behavior. I, I'd say ninety percent of the job is is just kind of digging through the ashes, and uh, you're either either cutting line, um, just kind of a bunch of pushes down, or you're uh, you're mopping up the uh, the ashes from the fire that went through. Um, I've I, I've seen I've seen some pretty crazy fire behavior. Uh, you know we've. We got to uh, do a few burns, some indirect burns on a fire we were on this season in Oregon, and uh, it gets hot. I mean, it's there's some big flames and makes you feel cool. But I, I'd say that's only about five percent of the job is feeling cool, and then and then the rest <laughs> of it's feeling pretty <laughs> pretty tired and yeah. <laughs> pretty bored. So walk us through a shift. Um. Well, like I was saying, it's it depends on the day. But if you're if you're getting on an initial attack fire or an IA fire, maybe uh, something on your district that um, just just started, maybe it's maybe it's like five acres. You'll 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 jump in your trucks if you're a crew. Um, you'll drive to the incident. You'll get out, get out, get your equipment on. Um, you're usually assigned a tool. Um, I had the the chainsaw, so I put my chaps on and have the saw. Yeah. Um, we usually get briefed on what's going on. Um, and our, and our crew boss will get us lined out and we'll, we'll start just cutting and digging line, uh, just anchor somewhere and start, start, um, working our way. 
up or down the mountain and uh, just going through the perimeter of the fire. Are you getting handy with the chainsaw? You know, I'd like to think I am, but... Um, no sculptures or anything yet? Chainsaw no bears are as big in Colorado. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, as soon as I start feeling like I'm getting good at it, I'll... Uh, You'll do something Throw different. my chain or something or <laughs> break it. Um, yeah, I was, I was fortunate enough to be on a crew with a really experienced um, Sawyers and some ex-loggers and things like that. So oh, yeah. I, I got to... I got to pick up a few of their their little tricks and yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's that's what I'm into. So so when you're out there, um, what what's the wildlife like? Do they just flee the fire? Because you know we see in the movies or reading stories that when the fires come in, just you know the typical movie scene where it's like bears, deer, foxes just like running. Like, do you see wildlife around it, or do they just get out of there? It's, yeah, I've seen I've seen wildlife on fires. Um, Maybe not when it's crazy fire behavior where it's at the height of where it's at. Because mm-hmm. um, what, what you see in the movies is, or, you know, the, the one movie that's out is uh, you see these big flames and people working on them. But what you don't see is there's tons of work that has to be done after, it's, mm-hmm. after those fuels are burned up. Because it's still smoldering, right? Yeah. Um, that's, that's how you contain it, is mm-hmm. you have to get that smoldering Okay. Those flames out. And in that case, yeah, I, I've seen, I've probably seen three or four moose. I've seen bears. I've seen bobcats. Um, maybe not right on the fire, but yeah. um, outside of it. So, yeah, I've seen, I've seen some pretty crazy stuff. In, in Washington, we saw two huge bull moose just, just kind of waddling around. And, um, yeah, it's, that's pretty satisfying. It's, that's another reason why. Yeah. It's an enjoyable job. Any Bigfoot sightings? <laughs> Not yet. I work with a bunch of hairy dudes. <laughs> they might, they might, <laughs> might think they're Bigfoot. Mistake them for it. So usually your, um, we were talking about this, it's usually a six-month gig for you, right? But lately it's been a lot more. Yeah, um, and, you know, I'm relatively new to, to fire compared to some of these guys that have been in a lot longer than I have. But, um what I've heard is there's a, you know, every season it just kind of gets a little longer yeah. for, for uh, folks. Um, you know, fires are burning later. What You know, it used to be like a three-month season back in the day. Yeah. And now, you know, I was, I worked for eight months, and I think I was on a fire at least, at least a few fires every month. Wow. So you just wait around, sort of, so you have like a headquarters. They say, okay, stay here. You're going to wait in it in Oregon and we'll call you when we need you. So, yeah, so my uh, my gig working on the the Type 2 uh, IA crew, we're we're a part of a district, a forest service district. Oh, okay. So we're responsible for that district. Um any fires that break out on that, we would be responsible to respond to that. So in that district in the last 8 months, you have been on a fire once or twice a month. Uh that that's possible, but what'll happen as well is if there aren't any fires on that district and the uh, the um, potential for fire is very low, they might send us off on a resource order to a, a larger campaign fire across the country, mm. and that's that's how we get out. That's how. So that's how you end up in in seven different states. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But if the uh, if the district needs us, they can they can keep us to because our main obligation is to that district to that district um do they do you do fire mitigation be like while you're on your downtime do they have you out there doing that kind of thing yep they'll have us uh they'll have us either do some fire mitigation or uh some clearing some campgrounds clearing logging roads um just miscellaneous work um yeah a lot of a lot of good saw time and it's a lot of good training experience a few months back when we had Senator Bennett on the show, one of his big things was how important fire mitigation was and how um, that he really felt like um, some of the rescue funds should go toward focused really on fire mitigation. So what is so tell me what mitigation looks like. So you guys just clearer brush or what do you guys do? Yeah, a lot of fire mitigation will be uh, taking chainsaws and cutting uh, ladder fuels out of out of swaths of land. Um, 
what what causes fires like we were saying is those those when it gets established in those smaller fuels it it'll just continue to grow and then get into the larger fuels and then it's a lot harder to control um you, you could see it in the tops of the trees you know in really crazy situations but what we do is we we just cut all the uh the small ladder fields out to mimic fire going through there oh i see okay um so you you set it up so like there was already a fire there and then it just well I, i just mean to kind of just mimic what it would look like naturally yeah right okay Right. Um, and, and you'll have different specs for different projects. Uh, I've been on projects when I was on that conservation core. Um, you were trying to create a mosaic. So maybe you'd, you'd take some, you'd go pretty intense in some areas and maybe leave a few in another. So it, it kind of mimics like a natural oh, okay. process. So, yeah. it would, okay, that makes sense. So I have a, so we've been up on top of Greenhorn so many times. You have too. And I always see where they've logged in some places, but then they'll have all this, like, brush. It looks like tinder, and then they'll have piles of it. Is that a fire? Is that a fire mitigation tactic? Because that's not what it looks like to me. So uh, a lot of a lot of districts and a lot of forests will, will, yeah, create big piles of things and then burn them in the winter. Oh, that, I see. That's, that's a big... Uh, that's a okay. That's a, that's a big thing. They they do that in Canyon and they do that yeah. in Oregon. Yeah. Um, and I'd imagine that's what they're doing. That's what yeah, they're doing. There. They, they do it here, and then everybody calls nine one one thinking there's a fire. Yeah. <laughs> no, because those piles are huge. Yeah. I mean, they're every bit as big as this office, if not bigger. They'll have these huge, huge piles, I and mean, it's just it looks like debris. It's the debris that's left over after you log an area. And one so of, one of my projects when there's not fires is to take a plastic sheeting. And uh, cover all the piles so that when the rain doesn't get in it, so it's not. Oh, so it's so okay. That's that's my cool job. That's your yeah. cool job <laughs> is to put plastic sheeting on the piles. <laughs> so that's that's a lot of the <laughs> to hours make sure that later it will burn when you want to when there's snow mm-hmm. on the ground or whatever. Tarping the logs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, a few years ago, um, we they found a bunch on because San Isabel National Forest is right up there. Um, and a lot of people love to buy, have property that abuts the, the for, National Forest. And then um, they found a whole bunch of marijuana, illegal <laughs> marijuana grows up there um, at that time. Have you ever come across anything <laughs> like that where you're like, whoa, 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 wait, what's happening here? No, no. Uh, maybe someday. Yeah, that'd, <laughs> that'd be an exciting day. That, that, was a, that was an issue with one of the fires. I won't say where, but it was like, it was tough because they'd go in to, you know, mitigate, um, draw the line, whatever. They're like, we just stumbled on another marijuana farm. And there was some fire, again, I won't say where, but they found 12. And it was tough for the firefighters because once they found it, they couldn't go in there because they, you'd have to go in with, like, full mop gear. You know, it was, like, a <laughs> hazardous material. That are on yeah, fire. it was a hazardous <laughs> material area. And not just from the marijuana. It was from, like, the chemicals they use. Oh, yeah. And what was really interesting was um, they found these illegal marijuana grows, and it, they were diverting water from irrigation systems to them. So they're busting all these people that were stealing water basically to grow weed out in the mountains. And um, even the Army Corps of Engineers was like, we're having a hard time doing this because every time we find one of these, we can't touch it. It's a criminal thing. It's a hazard thing. And it actually impacted fighting one of these fires here because they ran across so many illegal cartel grows in the forest. And not not small ones. Yeah, no, big, huge, huge, huge ones. And you don't, especially it's a better product if it's higher in the mountains. And yeah, so. so you have Nobody goes up there. No, nobody goes. Well, they can't because they're they're cut off access to that through the private property that's all around it. So, um, so yeah. Um, So tell us about, well, I I had one more question um, before we get into sort of the future of things. Um, so I would think that there, I mean, I'm sure there's guys that do this year after year, but there's got to be a lot of turnover in this job. Yeah, yeah, um, there is a lot of turnover, um, especially for uh, federal firefighters. Um, 
it's 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 hard on the body and um you know as you get older it it puts kind of a uh strain on your relationships with your family if you you have a wife or or yeah. children um and you know it's 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 just not that sustainable uh financially for a lot of people as well as of right now i i there, i've heard there's legislation uh like in the works where they might be helping us out a little bit but um paying you a little bit better than they're paying you that, that's what i heard because it's a minimum wage job yeah right? if you're I mean, excited about 14 bucks an hour then yeah and uh, i mean i uh I, I think i'm up at 15 dollars an hour base pay so you, you rely on all this overtime because you get paid, oh yeah you, you get paid hazard and uh, overtime and um and it's great but you, you gotta you gotta work it you know it's, yeah and and that's what puts the strain on because it's only for, it's not like you get paid, it's not a salary thing. So if you're not working, you don't get paid. Yeah, in my position anyway, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. and, and it's, it's great for me right now, but I could see where maybe as my, my career yeah. grows a little bit where I might have to change something. You do it because you enjoy the lifestyle, but yeah. At yep. some point, you're not going to enjoy well, the a, lifestyle as much. It's a young, man. it's it's a a young, young man's, man's gig. Game. It's but, a young single man's gig. That being said, um, you know the wildfire season's just getting you know longer and and more intense, and um, you know there's all these job openings. Um, it's yeah. it's a high demand job. Yeah. So if if you're looking to do it, you can you can get, get in. It. How does somebody that's interested in this get into it? Yeah, that's that's. They have a sister going to a bathroom. Yep, you got to yeah, have a sister. Search uh, all the bathrooms in the college. Use the restroom. Yeah. Um, what you probably need to do is go up to usajobs.gov. Mm-hmm. That's that's how you apply to all um, wildland fire jobs. Okay. So and that's that's uh, like a puzzle in itself. Just kind yeah. Of USA Jobs is like the worst website ever invented mm-hmm. in the history of mankind. Yeah. It, it's very not user-friendly for yeah. sure they're trying to make it better but they've been trying to make it better forever and it's never gotten better <laughs> no it's crazy and that's any federal job that you get you have to go through you usa go jobs that's impossible to even i took a class that was like a two-week class on how to apply for federal jobs the usajobs.gov that's how complicated oh. it is oh my gosh but uh what, ridiculous what i did when i first started was i sat down in the library and i just made a list of potential places that I w- wouldn't mind working. And I was, mm-hmm. I was pretty, uh, I- I'd work anywhere when I started. And I just started calling uh, the Forest Service offices. I'd, I'd look them up oh. on the internet. And yeah. I'd, I'd either call the, the FMOs, the fire management officers, yeah. or I would call, if I could, I'd talk to maybe the engine captain or like a crew boss of the fire crew in that forest. Um, and that, that's where they can give you the information about which um, application to apply to oh, I see. USA yeah. Jobs. I see. Um, and also, it's, it's, you know, some places are more competitive than the others, but it does set you apart if you, if you call um, yeah. a forest, kind of put a voice to the name or, you know, before COVID, people um, asked to show up and you can put a face to the name. So you were sitting in an ag business class <laughs> And then all of a sudden you decided, I think I want to fight forest fires. I, I was I was in a PCC, actually. I was at the community college at that point. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, I just, I really loved that conservation core work. Um, you know, I'd never done anything where you could just, you, we camped out, I think, three or four days out of the week and <laughs> um, just ran chainsaws for, you know, 40 hours out of the week and uh, it's it's a cool it's a cool bond you get with the people you work with because it's it's a struggle, and um, I found that even even more in fire. I mean you're you're stuck with twenty people for eight months, and in a pretty stressful environment. You yeah. you get to know them pretty well, and you uh, you form pretty pretty strong bonds and and make make pretty uh, pretty cool memories and get to do a lot of cool things. Um, yeah, and it, a lot of an intrinsic value. So that's that's one of the things that makes makes me come back. It's 
just the bond you get with the other people and the challenge of just being out there and just putting all your energy into something. Yeah. And, and yeah. Um, you get to work in the woods. You you get to feel like you're you're serving the public a little bit. So yeah. It's a lot of intrinsic value for sure. And you make a difference, and you can see the difference you make doing it, which is important. Yeah, at, at least in that little area that you're working. Yeah. You know, it's it's a big. Uh, it's you're just a little tiny cog in a big railroad, um, and sometimes all your efforts are for nothing. But um, it's 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 cool to be with motivated people just working towards a common goal, and I, I think that's the biggest thing for me. So does it require um, a college degree to go into this? Um, for my position, no, okay. no, it's the it's a manual labor job. Yeah. You can you can just apply and you say jobs and you, you have a pretty good chance of getting picked up somewhere. So if, if, yeah, if, if you're a young person and you're, you're looking to do something and different and make a little bit of money, I would, I would highly suggest it. And even if it's just for a season. Yeah. Um, just do it for a season just to see if you like it. So are you thinking about sticking with this? Yeah. You know, I've gone too far at this point. I don't think I could stop right now and be, be kind of satisfied yeah. um, because when I was on the conservation court, I knew that I was going to get on one of those hotshot cruisers. That's what I wanted. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I got to do that before I, <laughs> before I quit or I'm going <laughs> to feel bad about myself. <laughs> so, so you're looking at hotshot crew in like here in Col- one in Colorado, right? I, I'm looking all over, you know, just whoever will, whoever will pick you up. Me, yeah. Um, and so there's ones, so there's a hotshot cruise in every state. Are there multiple ones in every state, or it it just depends. Uh, throughout the West, there's I I couldn't tell you for sure if there's one in every state, but um, most likely um, there's I mean there's there's probably over a hundred in California, and uh, we've got I think maybe five in Colorado. Okay. Uh, there's one in Wyoming. Yeah, they're 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 out. They're all over. They're there. all over, and they're uh, they're not. What's different about hotshot cruise versus where I'm at is they're not tied to a district. They're a they're a national oh, resource. They can move in. Okay. So like we're bringing in this crew from yeah. California to fight this. And it, what why do they call it hotshot? Like I think we know why, but like why is it called hotshot? What's the story behind that? I, you know, I I don't know for sure. Um, it's it's a cool name. It, it sounds cool when you say it. It's, it's why it's I would like start calling myself that. I guess. Um, well, you're single and young in a bar. What do you do? I'm I'm on a hot shot crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I try. Yeah. Colin, Colin has other pickup lines. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about after the show. Yeah, none of them have worked so far. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you want to do this for um, long term? Um, you'd recommend doing it. As far as the conservation, do you see anything that, from a policy perspective, you're on the front lines, something that, that needs to be done that's just not happening? Um, so what I'm asking you is, if you could say anything to some of the major decision makers about funding and conservation and mitigation, what would you say to them? Well, uh, one, one thing I think that a lot of people are saying is that the way we're, we're fighting fires right now uh, is probably not sustainable. Um, like we were saying earlier, we just, the kind of culture has been to put these fires out as quickly as possible. That, that was kind of the forest services. They, they, they saw it as a kind of a bad thing. Yeah. And um, I think we need to start steering away from that. Yeah. And uh, start kind of letting nature take its course. and Let nature do its job. Let, let nature do its job and clean up the forest. Um, yeah. That's, it's a lot cheaper to let, the, let a fire burn it up. I, I mean, that, that uh, I mean, it, it's a gray area, right? Because you, you can't just let homes burn up or anything like right. that. Right. That's, that's what the gray area is, is how, how can you let fires... How can you control fires, but also let nature do its job? Right. You know, steered away from homes. So I, I think that's a big, big, uh, big challenge for the next 
you know, 50 years or however long it takes them. But we, we need to change our culture involving just fighting wildfires and how we suppress them. And it, we tried to do that in Scott's office. We did the um, Resilient Federal Forest Act. Um, it did pass the House. I don't think it was signed in the law, but it, it would it, the act would allow governors and affected county governments and or tribes to work together directly in designated high-risk areas and developing emergency projects to reduce fuel loads. That was like our mission. So, we do, so the culture needs to say from putting forest fires out to reducing those fuel loads. More that's proactive than More reactive. proactive. Yeah. Um, and that's what we tried to do for years, trying to get it through. And, it, and what that would have done was say, like, there's these areas where you have a high fuel load. We need to kind of cut the red tape and let the locals decide and identify this and come up with the solution and fund that to get that out. Yeah. Because indefinitely, uh, fire is going to hit there and this is going to blow up and then that's going to hit the houses in the areas. Yeah. And that's what we really pushed in Congress. But again, it, it had it had pushback from people and I don't think it really went anywhere. Well, and there was... Um, when he introduced it, and he, there was a lot of discussion for years about this. And yeah, now it's, that was it's coming, two years. And then there was push, so yeah. much pushback on yeah. it. So. It did pass the House, though, the last time. So, anyway. Well, we'll see what they do with it. It'll be interesting to watch over the next few years. So, Colin, thanks so much for coming and having the conversation with us. I appreciate it. I, um, You know, happy birthday. Thanks for, for doing this. Uh, on your birthday with us. I know you're getting ready to take a little bit of a vacation, so we appreciate it and giving us some insights on that. So um, join us next week where we'll be talking uh, some more about some in whatever interesting issues Brian and I think. Um, I know you're listening, Chad Vorthman, so I will see you tomorrow at the Farm Bureau um, Candidate School. And uh, if, as always, if you guys are interested in or you like the content and you are more interested in um, what Action 22 is doing and you're not a member, uh, email us at uh, show at action22.org and we'll tell you how you can be a member as well. Thanks. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.